Hi, and a really warm welcome to today's podcast, which is another episode in the Adaptive Work Skills series. I'm Chris Watson from Endor Learn and Develop, and we're a specialist provider of behaviourally based learning services. Our aim is to deliver practical ideas to extend the performance of people. Okay, here's a conundrum for you. I'm prepared to give one of you a check each and every day for as long as you're prepared to come and collect it. A check for £1,440. There's a couple of provisos. Uh, you will have to knock on my door each day. Can't be anyone else. You will get a check each and every day you turn up, but the first day you fail to knock on the door, this system stops. The check must be banked. It's a special transfer, so you will receive the money there and then from the bank. They've got the authority to give you the cash, but you can't borrow against it. What I'd like you to do is now tell me how many days, how many months, how many years you would keep coming to knock on my door for this check. Remember as well, that this means that you can't go to a long distance wedding. You cannot go on holiday unless it's sort of half day break. So you are gonna be really tied to this need to keep coming over and picking up the check. But I want you to think about how often you'll come. Now, the reason for posing that quite odd question is because actually this is the challenge of conventional ideas in terms of time management. You cannot manage time, time is finite. There are 1,440 minutes in every day. You can't borrow against it. You can't tip it some into the next day. It's a finite and fixed resource. And actually, the more we think of time, as almost like a check that you get each morning, something to carve up and use effectively is, is, is a much better way than trying to assume that you can stretch or manipulate or bend it in some way. Instead of managing time, really the people who are good at personal performance are great at managing their own energy and personal effectiveness. And that's what we're gonna focus on. And this is why Tolkien, for example, said that all we have to do is decide what to do with the time that we have. So it's about making choices. Unfortunately, as humans, we're sometimes not very good at making choices and deciding what needs to be done and what can be delayed. The most popular time management tool is the uh, infamous to-do list. I'm sure everyone has used or uses one of these and uh, it's great there's a there's a visual summary of some of the tasks however invariably they never get completed it's just a never-ending list of things it also can seduce you into being drawn towards the things that are easiest to implement just to get a few ticks you know and and, and demonstrate some progress during the uh, during the day what it doesn't do is highlight what really needs to happen or, or the highest leverage activities. And the problem today is our attention is under siege. So we're, we're constantly being bombarded by, by different things, different tasks, different activities. And sometimes it's quite hard to work out what really needs to be done first. Additionally, recent Harris poll suggests that if you ask people to try to make that distinction and identify their top goals and priorities, 
only one in six people can actually do so. So 15% of people can identify what's most important at the moment. So you need to constantly remind yourself of your main purpose. And in a work context, this might be the key goals. It might be your overall aim for the role. It might be KPIs. It's suggested that you need to make this part of your day-to-day -day life. So then you know whether or not you're moving towards it or moving away. And there's an example, Mary Kayash. She would write her key goals for the month in soap on the bathroom mirror. So she saw it every time she looked in the mirror. Stick post-it to the sun visor in a car. And then the more she saw it, the more she realised that this is what was critical. Just two pointers about goals. The first of which is around this fact that consistently we see time and time again that it's the most difficult stretching goals that produce the best results. And secondly, that performance levels only decrease or level off when people's ability levels have been reached. So there's that glass ceiling or alternatively their commitment for whatever reason has lapsed. So let's just look at these two briefly. Incredibly, Winston Churchill, for example, set himself a great big outrageous goal. He actually stated when he was a 17 year old boy that he was going to be in a high position and it will fall to him to save the capital and save the empire at some future date. Incredible. In terms of commitment towards a goal, I think there's one thing that you can introduce that is well within your gift. Something that if you need to commit yourself to a particular goal or if you're trying to encourage others to commit themselves, I think this story uh, really, really is helpful. That's Roger Bannister, 1954, breaking for the first time the four minute mile. Now, even if you believe in the Roman calendar, it took at least 1,954 years, therefore, for modern man to achieve this goal which was regarded as an impossible feat. It was thought that physiologically man wasn't capable of running a mile within a minute until Roger Bannister actually achieved that. And then suddenly there was a mind shift change because within 12 months the record had been beaten 37 times. And within two years it had been beaten over 300 times and yet that's funny because it took 1954 years for this to happen and there weren't significant changes in trainer technology back in 1954 human diets or understanding of physiological aspects but just because roger bannister had done it 37 people beat it within 12 months and over 300 within 24 months. It was because they knew it could happen. They knew it could be achieved. So a great starting place in terms of, sort of commitment to any goals is to build a sense of belief that this can take place. Because without it, you might be waiting another 1,954 years. I'm going to ask you seven questions, the very broad questions, and what I'd like you to do is just answer A or B to each of the seven statements 
the one that most reflects you most of the time? This question is designed just to emphasize the fact that there is no single best way to do any of the things we're talking about. I'd like you to write down your answers on a blank sheet of paper, please. To do is put either A or B. So you do have to commit to either one or the other, even if you think, well, actually, I'm a little bit of both, as is often the case. It's which one applies to you more of the time. Question one. Which of these descriptions applies to you more of the time? A, I prefer to be structured and well-planned and don't like leaving things until the last minute. Or B, I'm sometimes a little more disorganized, less planned and often leave things to the last minute. A or B. Question two, which of these phrases apply to you more often than not? I enjoy bringing things to closure and being decisive. Or B, I enjoy keeping my options open-ended and being curious. Question three, when going on holiday, which are you more likely to do? Plan some of the details well in advance with ideas for an itinerary on certain days. Or B, loosely consider some options, but really decide once you get there. Don't forget, no right or wrong to these. Number four, which of these phrases apply to you more of the time? I prefer to arrange events, appointments and functions well in advance if possible. Or B, I prefer to wait and see what's happening at the time. Number five, which word would you say best describes you? I'm a planner or I'm spontaneous. Number six, which of these phrases apply to you more often than not? A, following a schedule which I've created helps me to manage my tasks. Or B, having to follow a schedule would often restrict me too much. Final question, which of these phrases apply to you more of the time? Deadlines give me a line in the sand to help me achieve what needs to be done. Or B, deadlines make me feel quite unmotivated. OK, thank you for that. What I'd like you to do is just tot up how many A's you've got and how many B's. Thank you. Give you some insight in terms of the seven questions that you completed and also did say to you that you can't really manage time because it's finite. There's 1,440 minutes in every day and that's your lot. But I think you can distort it and it is possible to alter the relationship that you have with time. And I think there's a big opportunity there. So how would you distort time? Well, we've touched on a number of ways, certainly by absorbing yourself in a single area of focus and beginning with a challenging goal, 
can help you to just almost lose track of time because you're in that mode, you're in that pocket. There's a brilliant book called Flourish by uh, Martin Seligman that talks all about this and the effect that that has. Compartmentalizing when you can and concentrating on one task at a time. Expectation management. We saw with the yeah. Miracle Mile that there has to be a belief that it's possible. So you must feel it's possible that you can successfully complete the project or task or you've lost people. You haven't got that commitment. Total involvement. If your only incentive to complete a goal or a task is to get a, a bonus at the end of it, it will never be as successful as doing something that is intrinsically satisfying for yourself, i.e. it's its own reward to you. Loss of self-consciousness comes from probably a lot of those one to four, but it's where you're absorbed in the experience and you're not worried about what others think. And then I've touched on the sense of control and the importance of that. But look at this. If residents in a convalescent home were more alert and 50% lower mortality rates over 18 months, if they were allowed to decide their own meal choice, when they could phone relatives and how their furniture was arranged. That is staggering. Final one we haven't touched on, and I'm going to encourage some of you to maybe get a new relationship. And don't worry, I'm not, uh, I'm not getting too intrusive here. What do, what do I mean by that? Well, it's to do with the relationship that you have with time. Broadly speaking, there are two ways of interacting with those 1,440 minutes. And there's no good or bad. There is just consequences of your preferred way of interacting with time. Some people, more often than not, this is because we all do bits of both, but are more inclined to interact with time in terms of what's called clock time. OK, when they wake up in the morning, they, you know, after they got up and done whatever they do, and then they actually mentally compartmentalize and think, right, nine till 11 and we do the supermarket, um, uh, 11 till two, I'm lunching with friends and then we're going to the bistro, two till four, I'm going to do some clothes shopping. They've got quite a nice day, this person in there. Um, and then four till uh, six. I need to drive over and get the IT supplies for the project starting next month. Oh, okay. And actually, it's kind of like, it's almost like a, a little uh, chain with different events along that piece of string. Does that, does that make sense? Not everyone thinks about sort of uh, their day in, in, in that way. Some people are more event time orientated. And actually, instead of being... Um, externally referenced, and I use that quite deliberately, they are more internally referenced. So what they do is actually build their day around events. So I'm going to go to the supermarket. I'm going to have lunch with friends. I mean, they will obviously look at the time or look at the watch for things, but it's actually more constructed around the events. And as a result, there's slightly more fluidity to it because lunch with friends overruns. 
then the closed shopping, if you like, gets compromised or may even get ditched. And then we'll try and get the IT supplies in because I know we do know that need those for the events. So you can see here, one is slightly more time orientated and time bound and the other is slightly more fluid. Now, I would say again, some of this does depend in your work environments and your workspace. And I know we are all encouraged to probably adopt in the work context, more of a clock time approach. However, I would say you've still got some freedom within this as well. Now, revisiting your total number of A's and B's provides some indication as to your own relationship with time. If you scored more A's, for example, it suggested that you're more likely to be a clock time person. Conversely, if you scored more B's, you may well be more of an event time person. But what does all this mean? The evidence says relying on the clock, so external referencing, may decrease your chances of seizing exploding opportunities, i.e. the novel, the, the unexpected, the things that are out of, you know, the norm. However, I also acknowledge that uh, clock time people are more orderly are more structured and tend to be more reliable as well with certain things. But event time people are more inclined to be adaptive and event time people also are more inclined to be flexible. So there's, there's a payoff there. Now, why am I telling you any of this? If you refer back to the results from the questionnaire, and whether or not you got more A's or more B's, then there is one more important thing to bear in mind. And the reason I say this is because managing time is all about choice. A final tip for how you can kind of pull a lot of these things together. You can really concentrate on the task at hand. You can provide focus. You can improve your productivity by an estimated 25% if you choose to do so. It's to do with something called casino mentality. If you go into a casino anywhere in the world, the thing that you'll notice, and all the money that's wasted on gambling, is there are no clocks. Now, here's the rub, and this is why I'm saying about adopt casino mentality. Anyone done Bikram? Anyone know what Bikram is? It is hot yoga. yoga. Yeah. yeah, hot hot yoga. It's uh, I I don't I don't recommend it unless you're you know incredibly fit and you know that's your bag. Uh, but this isn't to do with exercise. This is to do with a, a way to stop time. And the research that went on for this, and this has been done on a number of occasions, separated groups of classes of Bikram students. And Bikram is an absolute beast. I have tried this once. It's hot yoga. So you do 26 postures in a room that is 40 degrees. You then repeat the 26 postures. Uh, and it's, it's incredibly arduous. It's one of, the, one of the toughest things you'll ever do. It requires real high levels of fitness. 
and many people don't get through the 52 postures in total. So an interesting group of people because actually you've got a set number of things to get through so you can measure performance really effectively. Both classes were mixed cohorts, both classes were equally fit. One class had no clock in the room and the other class had a clock in the room. Guess what happened? The ones without a clock have more stamina and resilience. They did, they did. Consistent and not just a little bit, they were 25% more successful on each of the classes that took place without a clock compared to their control group with the clock. And there was no other variability. They were at the same level of fitness and uh, with the same people that have been um, taking part in the classes for all the rest of the time. The really interesting thing for me is that they also made an assessment of whether or not the participants had a preference for clock time or event time. What they discovered was this effect, casino mentality, is valid whether or not your natural inclination is to be a clock time person. This is a real challenge because it goes against most of the ways that we we structure our workplace. When I go into a training, invariably they have a clock in the room. I know that they're likely to perform, likely to engage, likely to interact better if they're not trying to juggle both the activities and thinking there's 40 minutes left, there's 20, there's 16 minutes left, because it doesn't help them. What I will say, adding a, a dose of reality to this, is that there are many situations where you can't remove clocks. The evidence says it works best on non-standardized tasks. So if you were running a production line, for example, there is lots of merit in having a clock and people can measure themselves against a repetitive task against a clock. But if you're doing deep thoughts, if you are responsible for encouraging people to uh, have rich discussions and come up with innovative strategies and solutions, there's, there's a lot of evidence to say, actually, taking the clock away from the room might produce some better results. We've covered 15 themes. Uh, my most recent book, which is called Upskill, has got 825 more practical ideas to extend capability and performance in the workplace. It's based on a 10-year funded study where we were given some money to find out what is it that organisations value today, and these are the 21 skills. And so what it does, it delivers a dynamic snapshot of different strategies, tools, techniques and ideas that people can introduce for themselves with no budget whatsoever that will make a, a demonstrable difference to them back in the workplace. The reason I'm shoehorning this book, which I will say uh, was number one in Amazon Business Reference Book, is not because of that fact, but because... Within it, there are chapters on resilience and emotional control, change management, 
intuitive thinking and how you build up intuitive thinking and also results focus. Okay, and this brings us to the end of this short podcast. Many thanks for listening today, and I hope you'll be able to tune in again soon.